Welcome to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local culture. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Ben. And I'm Elise. Starting off, I went to school at Baylor University all the way down in Texas. I was a film and digital media student. As far as my art interests go, <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I am a... uh, you love modern art. Yeah, I do love modern you art. You love film. I do love film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that nails it right on the head. I also, I love folk art. I have a small folk art collection uh, from across the United States that I absolutely adore, but not many other people understand or enjoy looking at, (laughs) (laughs) my wife included. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Elise. Uh, I'm a fairly recent graduate of the Arts Administration program over at Penn State Lehigh Valley in Center Valley. I've I've lived here my whole life and have, have thoroughly enjoyed growing up making art and playing the violin. As far as my art interests goes, uh, it's it's pretty pretty broad. I, I love modern art, and uh, right now I'm really into impressionism. Nice. <laughs> uh, it it kind of rotates my interests in art history, but making art and viewing art, I've made a goal this year to create 50 pieces of art in mediums that I'm not comfortable with. That's impressive. Oh, thank you. That is... <laughs> That is difficult. I'm I'm at about six pieces right now, so I'm doing fairly well. You are doing um, well. It doesn't have to be necessarily like an oil painting, but I did a lot of collage work, um, some watercolor stuff. Uh, I've been taking some ceramics classes, actually, which has been pretty cool. That's really cool. And um, just like one-off ceramics classes. And then and I've been doing like a long-term oil painting class, which has been sick. It's been so cool. Very cool. So sick. So mentioning that that fifty pieces was that a New Year's resolution or did you start that? It was recently? a New Year's resolution. Even Very though cool. I'm, I'm abhorrently I hate New Year's resolutions, but I think anything <laughs> in service of making art is like a decent New Year's resolution. So yeah, I think anyone who would legitimately say otherwise is uh, lying out their butt. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, my most recently worked in medium is actually photography. I love photography. I am a point and shoot film camera advocate. I absolutely love it. Um, I do. I love your stuff. Thank you. I love that you're posting it on Instagram. Like, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been using Instagram a lot recently for a lot of different reasons, but I, I I like explaining to people a little bit of my process, and I think it. I think it helps other people want to explore it themselves. But I've been drawn to the point-and-shoot film photography recently just because it's it's quick. It's guerrilla. Um, you see something. You worry about the angle. You put in your favorite film stock, and you just go for it. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's, it's so – I want to say it's traditionalist, but it's also very hipster. So <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I like it. But, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed your, your neon – your neon oh, thank photography you. collection that's been on Instagram recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've congrats been, on that. Thank you. I've been working my way through the Lehigh Valley trying to take pictures of all the neon signs that I possibly can from a very early age. I've loved lights and signage. If you have a good neon sign, I'll most likely buy something from your business. So where <laughs> where can one where can one find you to make a recommendation for mm. for a neon sign in their neighborhood that they want? Want you yeah. To photograph. Yeah, you can reach out to me at Benjamin David Orr on Instagram. Um, and if you for some reason can't reach me there, you can find me through my business at Steel Pixel Studios, which is also where we're recording today. Very 
nice. How about you, Elise? Where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's EJ Schaefer, S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, which was recently changed from the Instagram handle that I had in middle school. So We both love art. We love going to view art. And recently, we went to the Allentown Art Gallery. So let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Yes, Allentown Art Museum, located in lovely, sunny downtown Allentown, not oh, far yeah. from my office. Um, we went with Ben's wife and my friend Elizabeth. Uh, I, I thought it was fun. I had a good day. My wife and her friend Elizabeth are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I think she enjoyed the museum, too. For those listening, Elizabeth is also our sound engineer right now. Elizabeth, why don't you turn up your microphone and just say hi? So we all went to the Allentown Art Museum, and they have they have a lot of really cool displays right now. A lot of them are seasonal. Um, yeah, they're doing an awesome uh, International Women's History Month they um, are. exhibit, New Century, New Woman, which on their website is listed as going through April 18th of this year. So catch it while you can. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of focus on turn-of-the-century women's shirtwaists. That there is. Which is... Interesting, but they're quite beautiful. Uh, something I'm probably going to talk about this more than I need to, but something I really liked about it was um, the versatility of the shirtwaist and how that kind of changed um, women's activities uh, in the yeah. turn of the century. So that is a, a cool exhibit that I highly recommend. It really is. It's so cool to look at. And they have great prints on the side of the walls. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, those like long, long suffragette poster prints. The one yeah. I'm actually looking at now, the quote on it is the most important invention of the century are the bicycle and the shirtwaist. So <laughs> I kind of like that. That is awesome. And, but, you know, that makes perfect sense when viewing totally. the entire gallery in context. Absolutely. I love so, it. Have to go check it out for yourself. Highly recommend. Definitely go check it out. Well, in addition to that, they have a really, really cool gallery right now. Um, titled Prince and Protest. We were we were both able to go look at it together, and um, we both have a couple pieces that we want to talk about. So yeah, so very generally, I'll um, just do a little shout out the prints by Bruce Carter that were in the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all focused on um, indigenous and native struggles in the United States. That I really, really, really enjoyed those. Um, they're very, very minimal, uh, black ink only, and I think. Mostly woodcut, probably all woodcut, but I, I really enjoyed those pieces. Did you have, yeah. have ones yeah, that you liked? I, I saw a piece by Ad Reinhardt. It's untitled, but it was a protest piece against the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the little card on the side, it talks about how much he loves postcards. And I also love postcards. So the entire piece takes place on two postcards mm. where he he writes a poem, essentially, um, talking about what life should not be. So things like not war, not lying, not draft, not fear. And it's it's really cool to see it, especially from the perspective of a soldier, which would send send mail home. So I, I really enjoyed looking at that piece. Um, what I loved about this exhibition, the aside from the curatorial nerdiness of it, the spacing, the setup, love it, love it all. It's looking at some of this stuff is so topical. And most of the prints, and I I may be wrong in this, most of the prints are 50 plus years old that are, that are in there. And looking at a lot of them was like, wow, this is, (laughs) in today's political climate, this art is so relatable. So. Yeah. They also just got a Rembrandt painting back, which Mm -hmm. they, 
discovered and had reattributed to Rembrandt. So let's talk about that. Yes, that was, I, I love that. So the exhibition is titled Rembrandt Revealed. It is right when you walk into the museum, that big gallery that's on the right-hand side. Um, it's You got to wait in a little line and you can watch <laughs> a little video, but it's Exhibition-wise, so well put together. I really enjoyed it. What did you What did you think of that? Yeah, the painting is called "The Portrait of a Young Woman," and very her... nondescript. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, no. I mean, it is, but it's so no, much more than that. It is, but it's there's so much, so much life and breath in it. And I think with the way the exhibition is set up, there's so much focus on the process of restoring. There it really is. So getting to see photos of x-rays done mm-hmm. of the painting, photos of what it looked like before, photos of what it looked like hanging in someone's house before they donated it to the museum. Yeah. It was kind of cool to see it go through all of those stages. In addition to that, it's in a very, very, very simplistic frame now It is um, to put focus on the painting. Yes. And I know we had a little discussion about frames when we were yeah, at we the did. museum talking in terms of like Renaissance art and art from that that time period, why the frames are chosen or who chooses the frames or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I just I love how how this was presented. I I struggle in a museum to stand and read information. Same. Um, but this I actually really enjoyed because I'm a nerd yeah. <laughs> and I love the process of how does it how does this painting end up where it is and how how did they get their hands on it and just the restoration process i loved looking at they had like an x-ray the last time that it was x-rayed or uh whatever was like ni- in the 1920s um and then redone with new technology now so the comparison i thought was really cool it um, was really cool i've never felt that much emotion staring at a traditional painting like that, especially a Rembrandt, where they're usually beautiful, the lighting is exquisite, but her eyes, above anything else, just to me, told the story of the whole painting. That is such a gift to be able to paint someone's face like that. Like, God, I wish I could paint like oh, that. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, and not to, not to take away from, from minimalist styles or abstract styles, Yeah. Um, but it really is like... I don't even want to demote it by saying it's looking like it looks like a photograph. It it just is so when you stand in front of it and look at it, it's like you in the painting and that's it. Like photorealism very, at its finest. Photorealism. Yeah. Very much emotional, an emotional connection. Yeah. Um, so if I'm correct in all of the reading I did when we were there, <laughs> um, one of the reasons that this painting was considered not a Rembrandt was because as in um, traditional style with a lot of artists from this time period. They had a studio that they worked in, students that they taught. They would complete part of the painting and then the rest would go to a student. So that was kind of the concern was the face, yes, very much looks like a Rembrandt, the clothing, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at other Rembrandts now, um, I think there was even a memo from one organization to another saying this is undoubtedly a Rembrandt. Like you can't even... <laughs> Oh, yeah. You can't even yeah. excuse it. So Yeah, that was I, it was cool seeing some of the chains that they posted on there as well. Yeah. Like email chains and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. It was it was cool that they even decided to include that in mm-hmm. the in the display of the piece and the restoration process. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, I I think definitely. And I, I wonder moving forward, um, even when I was there, one of the guards said people now hesitate to get so close to it in the exhibition the way that it's set up because it's framed like dead center in the gallery awesome lighting. And he's like, yeah, that 
painting is hung on that wall over there in the corner for years and years. <laughs> yeah. It's been a Rembrandt this whole time. So I wonder moving <laughs> moving forward, I wonder what'll what'll happen with that piece and and how it'll be how it'll be presented. Yeah. I know I know that it was taken away for the restoration process before mm-hmm. I was able to visit it mm-hmm. in the Allentown Art Museum. Were you able to see it before the restoration process in that corner? So I had seen it. I think when the guard was speaking at the museum, he referenced um, like the area that was directly behind where it is. There's like that temporary yeah. wall. So kind of directly behind. And I do remember remember seeing it there. It's next to one of those that huge lifelike painting of the the deer carcass like laid mm-hmm. out on the the fruitful um bountiful table of stuff <laughs> and uh Great painting. i i do remember it it being in there and kind of walking by it and maybe not feeling as much of a connection to it as i did when mm. after being told it was a rembrandt there's in that gallery specifically there's so many portrait paintings and eurocentric art history kind of style paintings that you could walk right by it and 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 not have any focus. So that's where I, as the arts administrator, I like to credit the the curators and the the people that kind of frame the Definitely. exhibition because it puts it in such a, a such a different light and um, makes you really makes you feel like part of the process. We're gonna have a an awesome conversation with Michael Freeman today, who is an artist out of Easton. So Michael Freeman is an abstract artist. His paintings feature tactile components and texture, so those with vision impairments may experience his work. Michael says that his work is a way for him to push the limit with his vision impairment and add a creative outlet for stress. He was born and raised in New Jersey and now lives with his wife and family in the Easton area. Every time I hear you talk about your art, it just makes me, like, so happy, Michael. Oh, man. I, I, I tell you, it's so much behind it. And I told you how I really got started. My wife and my daughter. Mm-hmm. My wife is very creative. She does a lot of DIY. She makes a whole bunch of stuff. From T-shirts to mugs to whatever you can think of, she makes. And my daughter does uh, creative creative writing and photography, and whatever else she wants to do. But I got tired being on the sidelines watching. (laughs) So I was like, I got to find something to do. I got to find something that is meaningful to me, but stress relieving, because I've been through a lot. So I was like, let me start painting. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But to see where I came from, I don't know if you saw any of my old stuff. I have, yeah. It looks totally <laughs> different to me. It's like, did I actually do that? <laughs> Looking like nothing but squiggly lines and... Well, I, I don't think you should knock your old stuff. I think that becoming an artist and kind of falling into your style is very much a process. Okay. You ever see, like, um, I think it's Picasso at the age of 14. He has these extremely elaborate, beautiful, oil-painted portraits. And then by the time he's in his 70s, it's mm-hmm. the Picasso style that you're yeah. used to seeing. Yeah. That doesn't make that his his artwork from before his his very popular popularized style doesn't mm-hmm. make it any less, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm comparing you to Picasso. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't, <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but I, I think I understand where you are because I now I feel like Remember when we talked about how if I felt like I was an artist or am I an artist? 
Yeah, absolutely. Now I feel like I'm an artist. Oh, I love that. I'm glad. Now that... <laughs> I feel like this is what I should be doing full time. Yeah. But I can't. <laughs> but this is where I feel like I, besides the art, is helping others to really understand people with disabilities and letting kids and people know just don't settle for what people tell you you can't and cannot do. That's awesome. Absolutely. Because if I, if I can do this and I have the vision problem, which is tunnel vision, but also partly colorblind where I can't see all the colors when I'm doing it, and then it comes out, you see it in the light, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Anybody can do anything. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's how I see it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's that's a big question for me and for artists that I work with mm -hmm. is at what point do you start to identify as an artist? So, mm -hmm. for example, I grew up playing the violin. I don't consider myself a professional violinist, even though by That's standard, by I, standard I, I, I used could. to play the violin. Oh, no way. <laughs> a long, long, long time ago. I used to try to play the violin. I just couldn't get my fat fingers to do the thing. That's why I went to drones. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think a big part of it is how how do you identify as an artist or how do you identify as a creative? And mm -hmm. at what point in your career mm -hmm. do you do you decide that? I think it's objective, isn't it? Yeah, very I, I object, agree. very objective to the audience, the people that see your work, and I believe it's how you feel yourself. You're self conscious, and you, you know, we have. I grew up having very low self esteem, probably like tons of people in this world, and but after a while, how do you feel comfortable in your skin and your art, Absolutely. and whoever sees it. That's why at first I never named my art. Remember how you always guys were like, what's the name of this? and what? <laughs> I couldn't tell you because I was like, it depends on who is feeling or seeing what it's speaking to you. So it's very objective. But as yeah. for selling, I guess for somebody to have a name to put to it, <laughs> I guess is important. But I'm like, how can I? I'm, I'm thinking of thousands of names. I'm like, Jay wife what would you call this or my daughter asia what would you call this myself because i don't see a name for it you know yeah. i think it's just very objective when i was creating it it was a lot of emotions a lot of things yeah. we were living going through covid then we were living through the black lives matter and then i was dealing with myself and trying to you know i grew up very different learn different backgrounds yeah you know my grandfather was part jewish my grandmother was cherokee indian uh my grandfather called us mutts because we were full of different backgrounds <laughs> so i don't know why people say nowadays you know i belong to this race i belong to this mm. we've all come from all yeah. types of backgrounds what do you, what do you think ben yeah. You, you have an art degree? <laughs> I, I do. I often have a really, really hard time naming pieces. Okay. Um, but I find that they get easier in a specific context. So if I'm posting a new collection of photos, mm -hmm. I usually find it a little bit easier in the given context. 
Okay. When I'm looking at one single photograph, mm-hmm. it's near impossible for me to come up with a name. <laughs> 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 but but yeah, that I, I think it really does help context. And if you're if you as the artist are putting a collection together, mm-hmm. you're, you're bringing a little bit more context to the viewer as well. You're saying, mm-hmm. look at how all of these individual pieces talk to each other. Mm-hmm. What do you think they have in common? Mm-hmm. Here's a little hint. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get into into talking about uh, the virtual art show that, that you're kind of putting together. Yeah. So that's obviously a, a huge, huge impact on visual artists, performing artists, is how do you display, how do you share your work in the yeah. time of COVID? How has this impacted you? Yeah. So when I first met you, which was closer to the beginning of of the pandemic, yeah. um, you were just about to have your first in-person art show. Yeah. And <laughs> kind of crazy, kind of crazy yeah. and, and fell apart a little bit. And then we got into the pandemic and inevitable, everything yeah. goes virtual. So yeah. Michael has been working with Mimi, yeah. who was involved with JuxtaHub and the Autism yeah. Society on creating um, a 3D modeled virtual art show. Um, so... I don't know. I think seeing your work in person and seeing it in the virtual sphere is a totally different experience as mm-hmm. the artist, like mm-hmm. presenting your work in the virtual sphere. Sphere. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's equally as meaningful? What do you? I think to me, like if I send you a piece of art or send you my art, sometimes I think it doesn't give it, the photo gives it justice like you would see it in person. But I think the virtual gallery gives you a look of what the possibility what the art looks in person Mm -hmm. you can't touch it but (laughs) it's just weird but she really did it guys did a really good job and really brought the paintings to life so when you first brought in this piece Mm -hmm. um, i was looking at it and you're like no go ahead and touch it Mm -hmm. so i know that that would be lost Mm -hmm. for a virtual art show is that is that something that you um okay with as an artist or do you really think that's part of the experience of viewing one of your pieces like for right now it's cool because it's helping me get myself out there and people recognize and see my artwork but then when you get to the opportunity where they can touch it and feel it i think it's going to be even more impactful definitely yeah and and your work is tactile for a very specific reason correct yes it's it's (laughs) because of anybody with a vision impairment like myself, which I have tunnel vision, which tunnel vision, I don't know if you know much about it. It's like I can't see on the side. I have no peripheral vision. So I'm like looking like blinders like a horse has when you're riding a horse with the blinders. But I have very uh, limited vision looking really straight. I have 20-20 vision <laughs> looking straight. I'm perfect, but on the sides, it's not there. So anybody with any type of vision impairment or blindness or total, they can actually feel and touch it and kind of just imagine what's going on. Yeah. So I think that's the powerful part when between the virtual and the physical part because if somebody's totally blind, the virtual ain't going to do anything for it. Let's be real. It's not going to be doing anything for them. Yeah. But unless there's like you did for me with the explaining it and they get the chance to touch it, they'd be like, oh, I really see it. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to get into describing your piece, if that's OK. And then we can sure. talk, talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, sure. So sure. Um, we have this piece sitting here in front of us. Um, but for those listening, 
and actually utilized heavily in accessible gallery work is to create an audio description of a piece. So audio description is something that is used either pre-recorded or maybe even something that you could dial in on a cell phone when you're in a gallery mm -hmm. to hear uh, a description of a piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. This can be done for sculpture, paintings, pretty much anything. Um, and it's, it's very, it's at the root of creating accessible gallery spaces and accessible visual art for everyone. So people who are blind, low vision, this is something that I think should be very, very much normalized in, in gallery and museum spaces. Mm -hmm. So if I can, I'd, I'd like to share the description of your piece that I wrote. Painting by Michael Freeman, Inspiration of the Beauty and Struggle of Our Culture. It is 18 inches by 24 inches. Um, it is an abstract painting done on burlap canvas. Michael's work is created with a technique called pour painting, in which the artist mixes the colors beforehand and instead of using a brush, pours the paint over the canvas. The main colors in this work are a mix of orange, yellow, white, red, and a shimmery gold, with a spattering of black paint on a medium brown background. The layer of paint on the canvas is thick and poured in such a way that it creates texture when dried. Throughout the piece are small black beads pushed into the thicker sections of paint. In the general center of the work is a piece of rope embedded in the paint that is twisted and knotted into an abstract shape. Parts of the rope are stained red, and the ends of the rope are frayed. Looking at Michael's piece, one can imagine running their hands over the work and feeling the trails of paint and the rope splash with bits of paint. Michael describes his work as tactile or textured. Creating tactile artwork allows those who are blind or low vision and those who are sighted to experience his work. That's awesome. I couldn't put that in words, honestly. And I think... So many people are gifted, like you. You're <laughs> gifted in saying that piece because, to me, if I closed my eyes while you were saying that, I could actually see the painting. I That makes me happy to hear you say that because I think creating audio description is something I'm fairly new to that mm -hmm. I've embraced in my accessibility work and mm -hmm. my advocacy work, but... It's something I find really difficult because you don't always get to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with the artist. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't call up someone mm -hmm. that made a piece that's in a museum. I couldn't mm -hmm. call, call up like Mondrian or something and, and say like, hey, did you like my audio description? Do you think it <laughs> encompasses your work? But I think that's what's so cool about doing this kind of work with modern artists is mm -hmm. that... I could call you on the on my phone today and say, hey, Michael, like I wrote this for your piece. What mm -hmm. do you think of it? Do you think it, it fits? I think it's very impactful because you got to remember in this day and age that we live in, it's totally different back in the day. Yeah. And now we have so much social media and so much stuff here for us to use. I think it impacts it more. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. especially with audio description, something over time that's made it more accessible to organizations is technology, right? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of thing where you could you could dial a number on your cell phone and on the other end is a recording of yeah. of a description. But getting getting back to your piece, mm -hmm. I think that the un the unbiased look at something with audio description is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. Trying to stay as as neutral as possible in describing it. And I actually cheated a little bit when I wrote yours. Um, <laughs> I was looking at examples and found mm -hmm. one through the Smithsonian mm -hmm. of a Jackson Pollock painting. Okay. And the describer that wrote that said, 
I, she said that um, the best way to describe Jackson Pollock's work mm -hmm. is to explain the technique. And I think it's very much the same with your work is mm -hmm. it's so unique. It's so mm -hmm. textured. The paint is so thick that mm -hmm. by describing the te technique, it gives the, the listener, the viewer, whomever, mm -hmm. a much, much clearer, clearer picture. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that when I was describing it, because if it were not as abstract as it were, it may be more beneficial to talk about the contents of the painting instead. Yeah. And that's that's a really good point. And it's, it's like I find when I got into doing it, I kind of, you know, I tried to use brushes and painting and I used to watch Bob Ross and all his <laughs> things. I was like, I can never I, at that point of time, I would. I could never do it. But now if I had to do it I or got into doing it, I could see I can do it. But I like this because it's so freeing mm -hmm. and it's not constructed. It's not like your typical painting. It's like you can do whatever you want to do. And you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And that's why I love really abstract art. Yeah. And um, I was like... I remember me and my wife went to Vegas and they had an art gallery and I was that's when I really started trying to get into art and doing art and we went to a couple art galleries and there was one by our hotel that we were staying at and we went in there it was so abstract I mean they had popsicles they had popsicle <laughs> sticks they had oh <laughs> uh, they took and they made uh the alien they made a a monument of different aliens, like the Predator, and wow. I was just like so blown away. I was like, when I go home, I'm going to get a canvas and some paint, and I'm just going to put whatever I want on it. And then I asked my wife, I said, uh, "What do you think about this? I don't like it." <laughs> but I, I, and in my head, I'm like, I've seen so many things now, so abstract that people light but yeah. i'm like and then she was like don't go buy me because i wouldn't buy it <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. i'm yeah. not trying to put her on the spot but i'm just saying it's just so much when you're free and you don't have to be titled or pigeonholed in one area yeah, yeah oh there's a huge market huge following for abstract modern art and I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm gradually I, learning I that gonna, there is. I was going to say, Ben, what's your your favorite abstract, modern, contemporary, like just super out there? I I love so much. <laughs> it's it's really ridiculous. I love Michael's work. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, please continue. The more I do look at this piece, I really love it. I really do. And... Yeah, it's it's cool looking at it in conjunction with something like Pollock, who you brought up earlier. Mm. Who, while he was while he was painting, while he was pouring, he'd be smoking. Yeah, and yeah. he he couldn't have cared less if his cigarette fell out of his mouth onto the painting. Mm -hmm. He'd just cover it with paint and keep going. And it's cool seeing those up close because you can see the light that he breathed into it, um, and the artist behind it. And and you can really see that with your work too, bringing in bring your experiences, and we had the privilege of talking to you beforehand where you're talking about all that you brought into it, and I'd love to talk about that in a little bit, yeah. but you really can see it, and as you talk about it, it becomes more and more clear all that's inside. Yeah. yeah. And, and 
for me, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun, why I made it, because I wanted people to see, especially in this day of climate, that we are just, I don't, people see race in a whole different perspective. Yeah. Okay, everybody has their own perspective. Your back, our background, the, the white back culture background, whether you're Irish, Spanish, Asian, whatever your background is, we've all suffered. Mm-hmm. We all bleed the same. So why do we have to go through in this time of age of where it is? But if you can understand our struggle and see the actual beauty of our schedule, because people are scared of what they don't understand. Definitely. And if you're scared of what you don't understand and once you get to understand it then it's a whole new awakening so that's where this painting comes from to show yeah. people we have beauty we've been through a lot but we have beauty yeah definitely i i love the the irony of creating abstract art to confront the fear of what people don't understand I like that's just that's so poetic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I try to do, no matter what it is with that piece, or no matter what kind of art I've done. I just want to push people's limits of thinking. Yeah, think out the box. I'm starting to think more out of the box, but I want you to think out of the box. You know, how would yeah. you feel? Your background, you know, everybody talks about um, the Holocaust. Now, I did. I can't do a piece of the Holocaust because I don't know a lot about the Holocaust. I know they went through a struggle just like our my background is, mm-hmm. but I can't identify it with it. So if somebody did a piece of the Holocaust and then did the description of it like you did, mm-hmm. and then I can see it, feel it, touch it, then I would get a better understanding. Yeah. So Definitely. that's what I'm trying to do with that piece there. Yeah. And I, f- I find this piece so emotional, and I think there's such a, even in the title or if someone had spoken to you about the artwork, mm-hmm. looking at this piece, so colorful, so beautiful, and you're very, there's very much a stark contrast with a red stained rope in connection to the beauty. And I, that is so emotional, such a, a visual way to represent what you're talking about, almost to the point where if you're looking at this and you know the title, is it abstract? Do you know the meaning immediately mm-hmm. looking at it? And mm-hmm. just one of the many things I, I love about this piece. Yeah. And the beads, the beads as representational bullets. That's yeah. Such a, so, such a great... so what I, with that, I, I wanted to add something, because you can see some of the other beads that look brown and stuff that's more of the beading um those are some representing some of the beading in africa and some of the beauty of their bracelets and necklaces and some of their fabrics and some of their colors but the other ones the small ones are more meaningful to me is because they remind me of bullets and they remind me how uh young african men and women are being shot down in the streets and how on top of that they're raging because people don't understand because they're raging people see them burning down places and everything so if you think about this 
you have struggled for so long and you try to give, let people know, you know, we want, we're here too. We're people too. Mm -hmm. We're suffering too. We just, just want the same justice as you do, Yeah. but we're suffering. So we're going to uproar. Yeah. So we can't do nothing but uproar and, and get your attention. We're going to get our attention, but that's what the beads are mostly is to yeah. represent the bullets. Yeah. You know. But it's like you said, it's very emotional. Yes, yes. It's it's, it's very um I think I actually might have cried when after I did this piece. Yeah. Because I I didn't know exactly where I was going. I get a thought in my head, and I just go start getting thoughts. Yeah. Turn some music on, get thoughts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that's my process of painting, you know. Yeah. When when working on this piece, was there a specific idea and or part of it that came to your mind first that then spurred on the rest of it? The background, basically, the colors, the browns, the, the outlook of it. And then as I started doing it, I was like, Okay, the colors mean a lot. The color stands for a lot. Yeah. But if you strip all the rope off, all the beading off, what would you see? Just a canvas, burlap canvas with different color paint. Would it mean as much as it would now if you didn't have the rope and the beads on it? So I'm like, let me add something else, maybe catch somebody else's attention. So I was like, what if I added a rope? Added the rope. And in in the one being in knots is being tied up. The one that's free is we were set free, but we were still oppressed. Yeah. So now I add the add that. I said, hmm, that gets your attention. But then what if I add beads to it yeah. and showing the different beauty of beading and culture of it, but then also add the black beads where we've been shot so many times and have no justice. Yeah. So that means more powerful than just a plain background painting of different colors. And then if you look at it, like I look at it again, I, I see something new every time I look at my paintings. <laughs> you see something different. Like there, I have pieces that don't have stuff on top of it. Yeah. But even looking in that, looking beyond the, the beading and the rope and stuff, the painting itself, no matter, even if you turn that uh, opposite way, you get a different outlook. Yeah. You get a different, the painting itself. My parents, they come, they love my art, they look at it, and they see faces, they see people, they see images, and, and, and that's what I like to push people to think. So you see that painting behind that rope and stuff, you'll see different images, you'll see, you look hard enough, you can see, maybe that's somebody dancing there, or there's a face there, you know what I'm saying? So I like that oh. as well. So I, I do want to talk about your process because okay. I think that, especially with abstract work, it's very interesting. We talked mm -hmm. about Jackson Pollock dropping mm -hmm. his cigarette ashes on the painting, and <laughs> I'm not saying that's what you do. But, oh, I've um, made enough mistakes, and, 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 and sometimes <laughs> my mistakes on the painting, I'll come back and look at it, 
It fits perfect. Yeah. But I will never, you would never know. <laughs> I will never, yeah. you know, I've made plenty of mistakes and I've, I, I can pinpoint mistakes I felt like are mistakes to me on that, but it goes so well with it. I don't look at it. I don't see it anymore. But, um, like you said, my process. So, so my, I guess my typical process is going, get them cabinets, going into my garage. Mm-hmm. I guess just turning on some music, whether it's jazz, R&B, rock, or whatever type of music I want to put on, um, and then going to where I'm getting, you know, my paints and stuff and doing the paint. I kind of, I go and I get Floetrol. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't. It helps the acrylics and the paint run smoother or smoothly mm-hmm. upon the canvas. Mm. So I incorporate that too, or I also buy already poured paint where I just mix the colors together. So to create that more like liquidy flow flow of the paint on the canvas. And so um, I'll start pouring it on the canvas or I'll take a cup and I'll do it. And they call it a, a, what do they call it? A sloppy pour paint or something (laughs) like that because it's... I have paint all over the place. My garage is, <laughs> my wife is probably going to flip out, but she doesn't bother me because this is my space I have. That's your creative process. But, but yeah. it's paint all over the place. But just turning and putting the paint on the canvas, and then as I'm putting the colors down, um, or if I want to add something to it while it's on the canvas, pushing it into the canvas, hmm. And then um, just taking the canvas and flipping it directions. That's really my process. Unless I really want to add a tool or or a different texture or, you know. But most of it is just flipping the canvas, honestly. That's my process. It's nothing special. It's really not. Don't say that. To me, it's nothing special. (laughs) But it's just flipping the canvas different directions and letting it flow and then just looking at it. Well, if I turn it this way, where is it going to go? And just to see the different directions where the paint flows and goes, it's it's relaxing. And then um, once I do that, um, I actually seal it. I use uh, acrylic spray, varnish or finish, to seal it. And then, <laughs> this is probably crazy to some people, you know, some painters use torches just to torch the paint a little bit. Yeah. I really go over the whole canvas with a torch gun, Ooh, a hand wow. torch gun. So by me doing that, that's sealing the paint, but that's making the paint more textile. And it's more... Yeah pulling it together, stretching it apart. That's the fun part, when yeah. it's stretching and closing in, and then you feel it and you get the roughness because it's starting to warm up and, and seal with the sealer. Yeah, very blistery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people say, why would you you catch on fire? No, it doesn't <laughs> because you're not putting it on the well, canvas, but you're going <laughs> over it lightly, but you're sealing it and it's forming together where you yeah. have that texture. And, and then once I'm done, I come back and I hit it with a hot gu- hot gun, hmm. heat gun. Hmm. So after I spray it, I torch it, and then when I hit it with the hot gun, it's kind of really sealing it, finish that 
look and what you have in the background there. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much my process. Besides letting it dry and some some paintings take longer than others, but you know. Good two to three hours in the garage, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Two to three hours, that's it. Yeah, two to three hours, depending on the size of the painting. I'm ready to push myself to do a bigger canvas. Um, Like the bigger canvases that I have down at the art establishment. Yes, I've seen those. Um, They're beautiful. Yeah. So that one, the biggest one I have, I've done is 36 by 48. Hmm. I want to push myself now. I want to go bigger. I (laughs) want to go 48 by 48 or something bigger. That's awesome. You can um, do it. I like pushing my limits. This is why I like painting too, because it pushes me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, earlier we were talking about your your journey to the point where you are now, mm-hmm. um, expressing your calling to be a an artist full time. Mm-hmm. What has that What has that journey looked like for you, and how has that gone alongside your stylistic journey, so that when you look at your paintings. What makes them yours outside of just you're the one that did them? My struggle, my background. Um, I come from a very oriented uh, Christian background family. Um, but besides that, you know, people that you think that are supporting you and you think it's your family that are supporting you and they're really not. Um, being... I'm being very open and vulnerable <laughs> right now, but this is my process of doing also going into art, um, being mentally and physically and sexually abused as a kid was very hard for me um, to handle because you're was always, don't talk about this or don't talk about that or getting, you're not smart enough like we talked about earlier or being you're disabled and you can't do this and being treated with hand gloves and kid gloves and people not taking you seriously and everything. So basically with my artwork when I do it, you're getting all those emotions put out on canvas. Mm. So all that abuse and feeling and talked about and put down, all that is on my canvases all or on my work. So that's that's what you see, that, yeah. you know, all the frustration of seeing the news and things, and that's where you got that. Yeah. But mostly that's really where all my artworks come from. I just find myself just putting it all on campus instead of doing something different that won't help. <laughs> sure. But, and then being able to deal with it and going through therapy, being abused, and beat up by family members and stuff like that and just seen a lot of death growing up i've seen death at a very young age oh sorry my phone <laughs> That's okay. um but in just dealing with that um yeah. and being feeling suicidal mm-hmm. at times because of it and dealing with that and i just really want people to see all that in my art um, you might not know the whole story, but I want you to be able to feel and feel me and see my artwork and see the struggles and see the good times and see the bad times of what I've been through 
up to now. Mm-hmm. And now, as you see some of my paintings, I don't know if you've seen some of the new ones, they're more brighter, they're more fluent, they're more like, ooh, okay, more <laughs> more colored. That's when I start adding in the glow in the dark because I'm in a better mindset of where I used to be, and now I'm just expressing that now. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's really what you see in all my work, all that frustration and all that pain. People say your pain pushes you to your uh, your goal in life, <laughs> I guess. I would agree. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> yeah, and it's your your work is is so uniquely you, Michael. I know we're joking, comparing mm-hmm. it to Jackson Pollock yeah. or whomever, yeah. but your work is like I saw it sitting at the art establishment the other day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Michael's. So immediately, <laughs> oh, that's Michael's work. I know Michael's work. Like it's it's you very much crafted a style for yourself, and it's it's beautiful. All of your work is just fantastic, and that's what I want to do because. I look at other artists. I, I I don't I read on some of the artists. I don't know all the artists, but uh I want to create my own lane in that where people like you say, Oh, that's Michael's art. And 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 I tell people, people have asked me, Can I have that piece? Uh I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> One of a kind. I can't recreate that same piece yeah. i can use the same colors but it will never be that same piece yeah that makes yeah. sense so you will never get a, a same piece from me definitely no matter what colors there are so i like that i, I think that's a lane for me where i can only do this and, and i can't recreate it. now you want that piece, I can do images of it, posters and <laughs> magnets and stuff, but I can't do recreate that canvas for you. I can never recreate that. I could try to, but I can never recreate that. Yeah, and I don't think you should. <laughs> and especially with the tactile component being such a huge part of your yeah, work, it's I think hard. It's so so unique. Even Definitely. let's let's say that you couldn't see the canvas at all. Yeah. It would still be different, right? You yeah. touch one painting, it feels completely different from another painting. And, so, and that's funny you brought that up because I don't know where my vision's going to go. I can't say from a month from now or two weeks from now I'm going to have my vision because I have the visual impairment with the glaucoma. And, you know, mm-hmm. glaucoma is you can't never cure it. They say you know it just visually your vision goes. So. I'm doing, my wife understands me now because I take a lot of pictures. So wherever I go, vacations, family events, or just different things, I take a lot of pictures because now I can process it. I can put it in my head and I can do it. So right now those images are all in my head. So if I should lose my vision, I can still remember them. Mm So that's how I feel about my painting now. If I'm doing all these paintings and I can see them now, I will never forget what they look like yeah. in my mind. But my thing is now, if I should lose my vision, how do I go about painting? Can I still paint? So that's mm-hmm. the question that's in my head now. Yeah. Could I still make a painting where people could say, all right, I understand that, but I'm totally blind now. Mm-hmm. Or can I still do the flipping around and, and, and see which way direction to go and 
switch the flow? I don't know because I'm not there. Like that's always in the back of my head. Definitely. Yeah, and I think I think that that's something I can't relate to, of course, mm -hmm. but in the event that that should happen, God forbid, mm -hmm. do you think you'd still you'd still want to create work, correct? Correct. No, I would, but I don't know how it would be something different. Hmm. It would definitely be different. It would be Yeah. How would I go about to I can stand there I'll be be blind. I can just turn somebody can put it in my hands and I can just turn it. Well, I can't see it anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't my thing is how am I going to connect to the painting mm -hmm. if that should happen? Like I am now connecting to it. And so that's always a fear in the back of my head, but I think I use a lot of my fear now to push myself to go forward. Like we talked about in my yeah. art, pushing myself to the next level or, or next thing. So really, I actually, you gave me an idea. I think my next painting, besides from what I'm working on now, I think I'm going to blindfold myself. Oh. Wow. And do a painting to see what it's going to be like. Yeah. So I think you've actually... <laughs> Push me to op more of opening my boundaries and out of my comfort zone. So I think I'm going to try that and see how it comes out. I love that. that I can't awesome. wait to, like, I'll, I'll share it with you, but I don't know I'm ready to share it to the whole public, but I'll share it with you. I'll say, at least, Ben, here you go. Oh. Well, well, I'll write a description for it, and, and you can, we can look at it and pick it apart. I'm excited, excited to experience that but the main thing with the art i want to inspire people mm. people anybody that has disabilities that don't have disabilities i think the more you can be open and and honest with people more people that can understand it and where you're coming from whether you have a disability or not then people can understand the beauty of your artwork mm. i think people can understand i think people if they don't understand it they're scared of it so I want to be able to influence young people that have disabilities. I want to influence people, kids that don't have disabilities, to understand kids with disabilities. I want adults to understand young people or older people, seniors with disabilities. So that's part the other part of my painting that I want to go into, the more activist part of it, and showing people of you know, anybody with any type of disability. We all have a disability, seen or not seen. So we all can do something. Pick what you want to do. You want to paint, paint. You don't want to paint, find something to do. But we all have something within us to give to the world. Definitely. And I think this is my, my gift to me, for myself, but also giving a gift to those that are in the world of art. Mm. Yes. I'm cry. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I I I very much I you say push myself into being an ad activist and an advocate and I think being here talking about your work, sharing your work, mm -hmm. sharing your personal story, that is activism. That's a huge it's part definitely. of activism. Storytelling storytelling is the root of advocacy in my mm -hmm. opinion and I think that that 
You being so transparent and willing to share your story is a unique experience for us, for your mm. listeners to to get an inside look at your artwork. So thank you so much. Yeah, mm. thank you. Like I have, I have where I am building what I want to give back to. Mm. It's like I give back to the Center for Vision Loss in Allentown, even though I'm a client of theirs. But I haven't been there because I've been working so much. But I give back to them to help them. The seniors, you know, they they want to paint. I've done paint classes for them. Um, we're getting ready to do in April the fifteenth. Uh, show them how to do a vision board. None of them know how to do a vision board. What a vision board is? A vision board is just simply putting your goals and dreams, writing it down, putting it on the board. And I think by me doing that and giving back, like, my other thing is mental health. Mm -hmm. The mental health in our community, the stages of the climate that we're living in with the virus and with the Black Art, Black Lives Movement and just in general, everything, everyday life, people are struggling. And, and people don't want to talk about mental health. Mental health is a big part right now. Yeah. And if you don't learn how to take care of your mental health, or take care of yourself, then nobody else is going to take care of it. You know? Absolutely. That's, um, that's I, I've done a piece I've known, I don't know if you've seen it, you, you saw it for NAMI. Mm -hmm. I did a piece for NAMI. And just and just um, remind everyone what NAMI stands for. Uh, NAMI is the National Alliance um, for uh, Mental Health Illness mm -hmm. in Bethlehem. Um, it's the organization that helps people uh, give services for people that are might have mental um, problems or health issues. Mm -hmm. um, give them an outlet to where they can get services and help. Um, their goal, and like I say, you're never alone. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody there for you, especially I look at the teenagers nowadays. They're going through a lot with not being in school, being at home, and if you look right now, the high risk of um, suicide is amongst our teenagers nowadays. Mm -hmm. So they're screaming out for help. So if I right. can teach them how to paint yeah, or distract yeah. them or give them some positive words or whatever, give my story to help them, then I think I've done my job. As an artist and an advocate, yes. right? That's beautiful. Yeah. It really is. I'd love to. So you've been talking a lot about different locations and um, places here in the Lehigh Valley. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about how how long you've been in the Lehigh Valley and how being in the Lehigh Valley has influenced your your journey as an artist. Okay. Well, I'm originally from Jersey, New okay. Jersey. Uh, I was born and raised. Um, originally was born in Livingston, New Jersey. Um, my family is from East Orange area, North area. Um, Orange, that, that northern Jersey area. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up a young kid running and going through New York City. My mom worked long <laughs> hours, and so it was really basically me and my sister, which were seven years apart, my sister Cynthia. So she kind of really raised me too. But um, I didn't come here to the Lehigh Valley till I was like 29, 30 years old. Okay. <laughs> Um, back in Jersey, you really didn't have a lot of resources for anybody with a vision impairment. So I was just, I, I, back then I had no 
I was just living, <laughs> you know, yeah. being your typical kid, riding, riding your bike and going to school and dealing with the kids, messing with you, laughing at you and just dealing with all that. But when I came here and somebody mentioned here's a, a organization or area where you can get assistance and you can get to get some type of education or vocational. And I was like, oh, wow. And then when I started getting together and meeting the Center for Vision Laws or even um, going to uh, uh, Independent Living, Oh, the, yeah, the Center for... The Center for Independent Living. I didn't get into it as much as I did with the Center for Vision Laws mm -hmm. because they had more of the uh, groups, activity groups and stuff. And it was a little difficult because mostly everybody was a lot older than I am. Mm -hmm. So it was not too many people in my age bracket to really compare and say, okay, I understand what you're going through. Mm -hmm. But um, just having that outlet and that ability made my life a lot better than it was when I was living in Jersey, honestly. So um, that's why I think the Lehigh Valley does have a lot of opportunity for those with disabilities, mm -hmm. but I think there's more room of growth mm -hmm. there, more able to push that to get and I know we're living in a government that don't sometimes do give you money and sometimes don't give you money, but I won't go into that because I'm not a grant person and I don't get into that. But as a person that uh, is has a disability, and I say to myself now, I don't have a disability. I, I don't have a, I don't feel bad about myself. I don't want people to feel bad about me. I don't want people to look at pity or anything. I use it now as a fuel to push me to do my art, mm -hmm. to yeah. be more advocate and be to be more vocal, be more speaking. Because when I speak out, it helps me mentally, physically, and as an artist. Yeah. So I think people treat the word disability like it's a bad word, right? Yeah, they... like 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 you're <laughs> really uh, uh, like. Without getting too political, I'm, I'm, there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to tread lightly <laughs> because it could it, it it really can anger you. Yeah, but it's like we're no different than any human being. Right. It might take us slower to get to from A to B, hmm. and we might have to take a little bit more steps, but we'll get there. Right. Yeah. And that's not to the individual's fault. That's yeah, to the fault yeah, of the yeah. the structure that society has created to prevent yeah. people who aren't don't fit the mold. mold. You know exactly. So, yeah. And and my wife brought something to my attention because I give my wife all a lot of props because she she speaks to my spirit too. And um, she said, you know, if you think about it, when I grew up, it was back in the seventies. I was born in seventy three. So back in the 70s, the doctors and their mentality of thinking was totally different than the doctors today. So if you had somebody like me with a vision impairment, they couldn't understand it or figure it out, they called you disabled or highly functionally mentally challenged. 
that that's the correct term. And I'm looking at you because you know where I'm coming. I was gonna say I'm, I'm sure the the language is not nearly as politically correct, correct in the but 70s. I'm, I'm putting I'm putting putting it or or retardation or right, or, or right. something like that. Yeah. So then automatically you're going into school, they're throwing you into special needs classes, and and I and special needs classes and where you're in one class for the whole day. You know, and, and that's frustrating for any kid. So then add on with me the abuse, the physical abuse, the talking down, and and then adding on. That's a lot for anybody yeah. mentally. It really is. That's a lot. Yeah. And to survive and say, I'm here today, I'm pushing forward, and I'm doing my art. Making beautiful art. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I just want people to see, you know, you can do it too. It, it's just, it might take you a little bit I'm 48 years old. and I'm just getting to where I feel like I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm thinking I'm not even broken the mold yet. I'm just t- <laughs> touching on it yet. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good a good nod to it's never too late to to start something new or or create or become yeah. an artist, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm so happy to hear that you found the disability resources in the valley that you have. Yeah. And I yeah. I hope that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I hope that you found that the arts and cultural community in the valley has been has been equally as supportive. Yes, it has. I I, I tell I tell Ben, I tell Elise and everybody the the all thank you because if it wasn't for them and and also for me stepping out on my own, finding them, finding you guys, and yeah. being willing to be capable to push my own self. Because some people really can't push their own self. Yeah. And people can't. They just get stuck. But there are so many. I would tell everybody to reach out into the community. Mm. There's so much here. And if it wasn't the opportunity for me to research and find them, and they weren't there from the beginning, I don't know where I would really be right now. I really don't. Mm. I would be doing something, but I don't know what it would be. <laughs> but I really appreciate the arts, the the centers for disabilities, for you know, there's so much and you know and I want people to enjoy the arts. Go see the art Allentown Art Museum. I haven't been. I gotta go down there <laughs> when I can, because my job is killing me at these hours, but um Go down to the art museum. Go to check out the Bum School of Art. Yeah. Go see any of the art galleries downtown East and mm-hmm. Allentown. You know, there's so much artistic the banana factory. There's so much out there mm-hmm. that it's enjoy and just open your mind. You never know. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming yes. in today. Thank I you. Think. Thank you for having me. Anytime, any time, I'm I'm free. <laughs> I will make myself open and free to you guys because it's it's a it's been a blessing. Well, we, you guys have no idea. <laughs> we so much appreciate you you sharing your story and mm-hmm. and being an advocate. You've I've known you, I think, about a year probably, mm-hmm. and you've taught me so much. You've been such a help to me. I hope as much as I've helped you. Yeah, you I have. I hope that it's it's a <laughs> I, I, a I give tell, it, a give and take. Not. <laughs> I tell my wife, I I'm so appreciative of you guys because it's like like I said, 
to go from not having anything like this or having this platform, that's why I'm like, I'm going to do everything that I can to give back, you know, to get open and to let people know, to, to be open to look at any platforms that you have or anything that, you know, you've gone through to help others because this is the only way we're going to get through anything in this climate of world. Don't be afraid to be open up. (laughs) And I like to say artists make the best friends. (laughs) Very cheesy, but (laughs) I like having creative friends. Look, I love quirky. My wife (laughs) came up quirky. That's my wife's size. She started off her company, and we started our company, and she started off with quirky is cool. So she makes T-shirts, and she makes... Some everything and she's like, I don't care. I I wear two different color socks or two different shoes. Can, can you hook me up with a quirky is cool T-shirt? Yes, oh. Oh. We'll, we'll, we'll hook that up and say quirky is cool. Quirky, is yeah, cool. That, that, that's 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 because I think being I'm finally finding my authentic self. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. And, and I think if people can find their authentic self. They wouldn't care what other people are saying. Yeah. Definitely. Well, speaking of authentic self, uh, can people find you on social media? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on that. You guys have tremendously helped me with that. Um, I am on Facebook um, at, at Michael Freeman. And then I'm on Instagram at um, Michael Freeman. I might be under um, SOG for life, which is son of God for life. Mm-hmm. Of course, the background is my Christian background. Um, but and your your website is freemanpaintings.com, is that correct? Yeah, so be careful when you go in there because it's mixed on, especially if you Google me, it comes <laughs> up Freeman's Painting, and you come for house paintings. Mm-hmm. So put in capital F and capital P. Mm-hmm. But it's all one freemanspaintings.com. Yeah. And we can, we can probably provide the URL as well. Yeah, we, yeah. Can, we can definitely do that. And... Are there any places that if people want to view your art, it's currently on display at? Uh, right now, I'm working with Mimi and them having uh, the special needs um, oh, yeah, virtual so... tour. I think that's starting Friday. Yeah, so me... this will be available through the Art Establishment website, which is in Fountain Hill in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, viewers can go onto the website by Friday and there is a virtual tour link available. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael's work is in it. it includes artwork from individuals from the Autism Society of the Lehigh Valley, and it's focused on um, all artwork by artists with disabilities. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you will have a few pieces in person hanging at the art establishment. Yes, too, I correct? do. Right now, I have three pieces hanging down there. Um, one piece is 30, 36 by 48, I think, Thirty, yeah. the biggest one. And the other one is 30 by 40 canvas, and the other one is 16 by 20. Yeah, and very very stately pieces. <laughs> yeah, well, one well one of them, well, the other two, the biggest piece is uh, inspired by, uh, back in the day, I don't know if you know of the Kooji sweaters. Bill Cosby used to wear them a oh, lot. Yeah. Biggie Smalls used to wear them a oh, lot. Yeah. So that painting is... Uh, inspired by them guys and uh, the sweater and stuff, so it's very colorful. Oh, I have to check that um, out. Yeah, then... I have, to, I have to head over there and check it out. <laughs> and then the other one I have there is a thirty by forty painting, which is uh 
a graffiti piece I've done. Very um, cool. It's representative of me growing up in Jersey in the New York area, seeing all the graffiti art and stuff. So, and part of that, part of that painting does glow. Not all of it, but part of it does. Nice. So you put cool. that under a black light, UV light, you'll see some yeah. weird, different, weird things in there. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> and, that's awesome. And then the other one I have is called um, Red Golden. It's a mixture of red and gold paint on the canvas, so. Cool. Check them out and get a chance, and Plus the virtual art uh, steps, virtual yep. art tour that yep. uh, Mimi helped me put together. Uh, trying to get that now to be put on the website, and see so people, other people yeah. can see it. So, so people yeah. can view virtually and in person. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. And and for those listening in the future, that will be available Friday, March nineteenth of twenty twenty one. But that's that's where I am now and trying to find something else to do to get involved in. Well, thank you very much yeah. for coming and being involved. Thank you involved for having me. Us. Thank you. And, and for sharing your story and oh, for sharing your artwork. No yeah. problem. I have joy. It's a blessing. Thank <laughs> you. I tell All everybody right. I love meeting new people, Ben. Once you get going, man, <laughs> the sky's the limit. <laughs> you need any like artwork it. or any any help around here, call me. Oh, I no. definitely will have to do that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You're very I welcome. appreciate it. So that was our conversation with abstract artist Michael Freeman. Uh, I think he had a lot of a lot of great insight and into his artwork and uh, and his advocacy work. So thank you, Michael. Yes, thank you, Michael. And on his way out, he mentioned that he forgot to say that you can buy shirts and magnets and all sorts of things in, involving his art from his website. And and just so that we have it again, it's www.freemanpaintings.com, and you really can. There's a bunch of really cool stuff in there. Um, he took his sweatshirt off that he was wearing in here, and he was wrapping one of his own shirts. I loved it. Yes, yes. Uh, it makes me happy. Well, at this point, we'd also love to shout out an upcoming workshop. So, Elise, take that away. Yeah, so we talked a lot about audio description in this episode and with Michael. Um, so I just wanted to throw out there that Lehigh Valley Arts Council, in partnership with Lehigh University Art Galleries, is offering a virtual audio description for the visual arts workshop. Um, hosted via Zoom. It's on Saturday, April 24th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can find all of the pricing and registration info info at lvartscouncil.org. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. We're recording, as always, here at Steel Pixel Studios in Bethlehem. If you're looking to record a podcast and or do any kind of filming, photography, visit our website, www.steelpixelstudios.com. You can find us on social media, at Steel Pixel Studios. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>